This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. Where I don't know if people are aware, but of course after the pandemic a lot of this started, but there's no better place. I think it's a great idea to go on Zupan's.com, uh, Zupan's website, do your shopping and pick up uh, outside. And the reason I say that, I'm not sure if the folks at Zupan's will love this, but Zupans is so awesome that you do a lot of impulse buying when you're there, and then you mm-hmm. you you have a little bit of a register shock at the end. So here's a way to shop at Zupans and maintain a little bit of control. And I wouldn't say to do this all the time, but if you just know you want a few items, go online to Zupans Markets, click on them, and and arrange pickup at one of their three locations. Yeah, definitely a a great uh, service especially right now as we see covid cases going up and you're trying to, if you're trying to isolate whether just to protect yourself or, or whatever um, this allows you to get your grocery shopping done with high quality food and uh, not have to you know be around other people if you don't want to be i did that with some uh, uh, rack of lamb for christmas as a matter of fact picked up my rack and uh, jeremy the manager of the zupan store said did you get a chance to look at it because that was one of the things they like to feature is their butchers will bring it over and show it to you. I said no, I was rushing around doing some other shopping, but I had ordered pre-ordered and it was it was ready when I got there. That rack of lamb was just perfect and oh my god, that was a wonderful way to spend uh, Christmas. So um, Zupans makes for great memories. That's all I can say about that. Explore this for yourself at your three local conveniently located Zupans markets, which are on McAdam. West Burnside, Lake Oswego. And remind us once again, Chris, where we go to get any information about Zupans. Very simple, zupans.com. All right, here it is. Time once again. It's Portland's Food Scene Podcast. It's right at the fork with your host, Chris Angelus from Portland Food Adventures. And I'm Court Johnson from Portland Radio, kink.fm. I almost forgot what I did for a living there, Chris. Well, you don't want to do that because this, this obviously is the best part of your day. So you want to forget about the other stuff. But you're in front of a sure. mic nonetheless again. Right. So... I've often said I'm a professional, but only because they pay me to do it. That's the only thing that makes me a professional. Otherwise, I'm just some schmuck that got lucky. Well, that's two of us. (laughs) So I don't know how lucky I am. Listen, I am lucky because we are on. We're just starting. This episode would be the start of, I can't believe this, our ninth year of doing this podcast. Uh, It's pretty incredible. And... Court, I can't say enough what a pleasure it's been to work with you. Um, From the get-go, we started out with you as kind of an engineer for two years, and uh, now a couple of years later, you became a partner in the podcast, and we've been making this work without fanfare for a long time. Have we ever had any kind of disagreements or arguments? Uh, I, not that I can think of, Chris. Not only is it our ninth year, but we're actually starting here today. We're celebrating our 300th episode, uh, which is kind of a misnomer to the degree that we've released more than 300 episodes over the course of nine years. Right. We just never numbered all the sound bites and some of the other and Joy's episodes, which are 
Correct. The joy of drinking, which occurs the last, generally at the end of the month, and we've been promoting that. And we haven't really figured out what to do with that, whether to separate that out or leave it as is. Uh, it kind of rounds out, you know, when you're going out to eat, you want to drink too, so it kind of rounds out the podcast a little bit. So we're, we're happy about that. But I will say this, us, we surely thank our listeners. Um, we know they're out there. We can see the numbers. The algorithms yep. have changed over the years. So at one point, what was it? We thought <laughs> it indicated that we had 12,000 downloads per episode. And that, yep. that was a lot for a local Portland podcast that had, you know, the, the niche of food going for it. And then they revised them a little bit. But I'm happy with the new algorithm that I think came in like 2018. We've held the ship steady. It's been steady numbers. And I say that because everybody knows that around then and up till now, podcasts are the thing. So whereas when we started this podcast, if someone discovered it, it may have been the only one they knew about. And now that's certainly not the case. So, um, so we thank our listeners for sticking with us or coming to and sharing, right? Everybody should be sharing and rating the podcast. We, we've never been really good at asking people to do that. Um, no, we, ha- we haven't. But I, I, actually, this is a great opportunity. I, th- this just popped in my mind. One person who I know actually regularly talks about our podcast and shares it is a guy by the name of Josh Brown, Chris. I don't know if you're friends with him on Instagram, yeah. but I am. He's got two great and, uh, dogs, and he's always very kind yeah. to me. He's, uh, yeah. he, we've and, met at one of the Feast episodes. He introduced himself. Yeah. Yeah, he, he uh, regularly talks about and shares, you know, information about the the podcast in fact i think if i remember as 2021 was coming to a close he reported that uh right at the fork was in his top five podcasts of the year so thank you josh we love that because i'll tell you when i see people post on facebook what are your favorite podcasts for others because they want to get into them or they're taking a long drive I <laughs> I don't always see right at the fork and we i appreciate the well, fact it, that he does that yeah, it, it goes back to kind of you and I, Chris. Again, we're, we're not the best at tooting our own horn. So we, for 2022, maybe one of our resolutions is we should toot our own horn better. And we'd appreciate if you also toot our horn, if that doesn't sound strange. Everybody needs a tutor. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't hurt. And, you know, one thing I learned from a long time ago when I was involved in this crazy uh, multi-level marketing thing uh, it, it ended up being great for me, very indirectly, not from that itself, but who I met uh, and and the few things I learned in the few months I was doing it. One was you're much better off having someone else toot your horn than tooting your own horn. And I've always said that with regard to my business, whatever consulting I've done and Portland Food Adventures. It's always great when I do an event with a restaurant and I get to talk about the restaurant, the chef, and how great they are, that just sounds better than chefs talking about it themselves or restaurants tooting their own horn. So at any rate, to that uh, degree, we thank everybody. And also, we cannot thank enough our two longtime sponsors, Zupan's Markets and Ringside Steakhouse, without whom we never could be still doing this podcast. Um, they've been really great in um, letting us say what we want to say 
And, you know, our deal with them is fantastic because we, we do some trade with them, which enables us to go and have the privilege, I say this with conviction, of eating, you know, going to Zupans and shopping and finding out what's there, and then going to Ringside, which is surely one of the best restaurants in Portland and still mm-hmm. standing after more than 75 years. And I've said it before, I don't, you know, whether you care about lists or not, whatever, but it should be on the Eater 38. If someone's coming to town and they're looking for a great place to eat, they're not going to get better service, and you're also going to get great steaks and other things at Ringside. So uh, between Zupans and Ringside, when we started this podcast, we were looking for any sponsors. One of the first people I contacted was Eleanor at Zupans, and it wasn't until a couple of years later she wrote back and said, hey, we're interested in this. And uh, we got together. So um, we, you and I, I know this, really love the fact that we believe in our sponsors. It's, it would be a different thing to be talking about a product we didn't necessarily believe in. But the fact that uh, we have sponsors that we think very highly of and feel very comfortable endorsing uh, is just a treat and a pleasure. Um, I've been involved in advertising for a long time. And it really makes a difference. So thank you, Ringside and Zupans. I don't know if they're listening right now, if Eleanor's listening or Mike Zupan or Craig or Jonathan over at Ringside. Um, but um, I'll, I'll thank them in person. But thank you here on the podcast. We can't go without doing that. Yes, thank you. I don't, I don't think I could have said that better, Chris. Oh, I, you could have. You could have pared it down to a couple of sentences. But yeah, maybe. Yeah. Oh, so some other housekeeping business that's kind of important, uh, only because people might be wondering on Thursdays, what happened? Well, we're going to start releasing the podcast on Fridays now, uh, starting in 2022, um, for a number of reasons, one of which is uh, we're we both found that we could use the extra day during the week to record. Yep. Uh, you know, it's been a little more difficult, I have to say, getting guests than it used to be for whatever reason. Um, whoever is still in business is pretty busy. And secondly, you're pretty busy with your, um, with your, you know, your day job. Regular job. Yeah, your My day, day job. job over there. And so we thought if we just added another day to the mix, it would kind of help us not have to scramble as much. And Friday is a good day, so why not? And it's 2022. Court, I just need to say this. Um, I really like 22. This is one of my favorite movies. Albert Brooks is Lost in America. One of the most famous scenes in that movie is a scene about the number 22. And I've since, in the last few months, somehow found that there are other fans of that movie and love it so much. One of my friends had the 22 tattoo on his arm. And, uh, and recently I saw a car that says Love 22 and uh, a license plate. So anyway, it's kind of a big year because I've always been joking about she must really love 22. So here we are. <laughs> 2022, we started this in 2014. And um, and really happy to be doing it. And so, Court, why don't you mention what we plan on doing for this episode? We'll go for a break from uh, from our sponsor and come back. 
Yeah, so as we uh, celebrate nine years, the start of nine years, and our 300th episode, we thought it would be great to kind of look back on the past eight years and choose episodes, one episode from each year that kind of stood out to us, um, whether it be just the conversation itself or something that came out of that conversation. I guess that's kind of saying the same thing, but some of the highlights from the past eight years, we'll be sharing those with you uh, over the course of this episode 300. So with that, Chris, we will take a quick break let our let our sponsors say some words and we'll be right back right at the fork is brought to you by zupan's markets unsurpassed quality from the best meats and wines to local baked goods fresh flowers and an extensive craft beer selection step into zupan's and be inspired for your next meal food loving customers as well as local chefs know that zupan's is the place to find the very best northwest bounty in portland west burnside southwest mcadam and lake oswego local and family owned for over 40 years zupan's markets and by portland food adventures Join our host, Chris Angelis, and his colleague, Austri Enzyme, next September for a wildly delicious adventure through Western Sicily. Palermo, Marsala, and lots in between. Book now to make sure you don't miss the best of Sicily. Since 2015, PFA has been taking Portlanders on incredible journeys with Portland chefs and artisans to Europe and beyond. Check out the trips tab at portlandfoodadventures.com for Sicily, Spain, and more. Or contact Chris through the website right now while you're listening to the podcast. All right, Chris, so here we are as we uh, make our way into this episode 300, a look back on the past eight years of Right at the Fork uh, back in 2014. So setting the table for this is, uh, as you kind of pointed out in the intro, uh, the podcast was started by you and Heather Jones, and I was just kind of the guy in the corner making sure buttons were pushed and the sound sounded okay. Uh, but uh, some great episodes there in the first year, including a great conversations with just kind of the I, I, the Godfathers, one of the Godfathers. Actually, how would we phrase this? Because it's not just one person; it's two people. Oh, the, the Godparents, the the, the Godfolks. Let's go with that. The Godfolks. There we go. <laughs> but you know, we did it. We did a. Uh, I think it was the month of June or July where we did Couples Month. You yeah. know, um, and. I really encourage, before we move into this, our archives are fantastic. And one of the chief um, edicts of the podcast was we wanted everything to be evergreen. So when someone pitched us on either something that was opening and hadn't yet opened or an event, we kind of steered away from that. I'd, I'd rather talk to people after they've been in business for a year to talk about that experience rather than be a tool for PR to uh, open something. That doesn't mean that we didn't do that once in a while for established right. restaurateurs, but we really wanted the podcast to be evergreen. And so the interesting thing is, as we look back on the archives and we've just come through the pandemic, I think literally half of the people we've interviewed who at the time were key players in the Portland food world either are out of business out of town um, or things have changed they're not in the businesses they were in when we talked to them so but the archives are still interesting because we really wanted to talk about the people and what it's like to operate their businesses in Portland for the most part um, and so this uh, first interview with the Paley's was just after they opened Imperial. 
And, you know, it's interesting to look back in context to see they no longer have Imperial. They just closed Paley's place, too. So who at the time ever thought that all of those would be closed for reasons that they closed? But we'll hear them talking about some of their philosophies and some of the tough parts of the business that really came to the fore over the last couple of years um, and how they handled it and why they are professionals and why uh, it's going to be, I don't think it's ever going to happen that anybody will replace what the Paley's represent and represented in the Portland food world. So it's, it's for those who don't know, uh, Vitaly and Kimberly Paley, who just closed Paley's place at the end of November um, after it was a close to 28 year run. I'm not sure. I could have that wrong. But the best way to find out is next week we're going to kick off our first interview in 2022 with the Paley's, a little post closing post-moving on to talk about what they have planned and some of their feelings about uh, closing Paley's Place. This particular clip you're about to hear goes back to July 9th, 2014, and we'll hear how how some of their philosophies in operating a number of restaurants. So you've had Paley's for 20 years now. Yeah. And now Imperial... I'm still not a morning person. Yeah, no, I... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, but you've had Imperial for a couple. Uh-huh. Are you? Are there days where you say, "What did we get into here with this?" <laughs> it's not. It's not Paley's, which is dinner service. Look, Kimberly just looked over. And it's, um, are there days where you wonder, "Geez, I, this is this is a lot," and yeah. you knew that going in. You're, yeah. You certainly weren't blinded to it. I, I I feel today more certain than ever that I've done the right thing. Um, I've also feel like I'm not a captain looking for a smooth air anymore. I feel like we've steadied the, 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 the ship and it's kind of rolling along quite nicely, building up momentum as we go. It feels a lot more natural. I feel I can trust the managerial team to do everything that they need to do during all the meal periods because that's the important part. When you're open for so many hours out of the day, it's physically impossible for me to be there from 6 a.m., which is when we open, till midnight, which is when we closed a lot of times. And so and as you a, can't be two places at once. And I can't be at two places we all divide at once. And conquer. <laughs> so so you bring people up from within, you give them the right tools to succeed, and then you delegate and then you watch it from the sidelines and you're just like that little captain with a joystick, right? You just kinda walk in there and a little bit to the right, a little bit to the left, and then, you know, let it run. Yeah, but sometimes you're really moving it around a lot because it, it, it... You know, the, it, everything goes in cycles, and we're moving through a cycle of this point at this at, at this time at Imperial. We're losing one of our key players. Ben Bettinger is going away. He's going to do something else. And uh, we're going to look very hard and long as to what to do and how to continue, but as far as I'm concerned, business as usual. You know, it, the, the players are all interchangeable. Kimberly and I are the only... Kimberly and I and Marcel are a partner, obviously, and at this point, Garrett Peck uh, are probably the only people that are constant. Everybody else will move in and move out. It's a fluctuating thing, and it has to be that way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just it's designed to be that way. Our business is just that. It's, did you expect Ben to be moving out as moving on as soon as he did? I, I knew eventually Ben would go. Um, I didn't think it would happen so soon, but uh, you know, you never are ready. It's like you know, when you have kids, are you ever ready for kids? You know, it's just <laughs> <laughs> still not ready. And I I don't have any, but I, so I hear, I hear these things. Yeah, no, <laughs> uh, but 
But it's a good thing that you're at the point where you said your ship was steady, yeah. that he's leaving yeah, better than okay. a year ago. And Ben was instrumental in helping us yeah, I know. get he, that he, ship he, to a place where we feel comfortable running it. Yeah. I, I, I have no regrets whatsoever. I wish him great success and great luck. Ben was instrumental in getting every system in place since day one, and he learned a great lesson, and so did we in, in putting this thing together. He's going to walk away a a very rounded chef and an individual running a business. So I'm I'm excited to see what he can come up with, but at the same time also excited at the opportunities of new, constant new. We have to you have to reinvent yourself. This is what we're all about. You've done this before. You I had have, a, you had a yeah. guy named Rucker in your kitchen once. <laughs> And you had Jason in your kitchen, yeah. so this isn't this isn't your uh, yeah. With those guys, I was a bit of a sort of loser when they left, you know, because they left at once at the same time. Literally, like both guys gave me one after the other a notice. It was kind of it was a, it was a very special moment in the history of feeling. <laughs> so I was like, okay, shoot, what do I do now? You know, well, but that makes you, you stronger, right? Yeah, and so now recover, you now no you've swung the the bat with the donut on it. When yeah. Ben leaves, yeah. it's okay, well, we'll yeah. I'm not going to say it's. You know, nothing, but yeah. a little easier to do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we're used to it. I mean, we know people aren't there to stay. We just, well, we know that. We, we love it when they're there, even for front of the house. I have many servers that have been there six, seven, eight years. You don't see that very often. Um, but the loyalty is what's important. And even when people go off to do their own thing, there's still this like history of loyalty there. So there's a great community here, I think, in Portland of, I see Vitaly with other chefs and other cooks. There's this great care and, you know, even with purveyors and sharing products and talking about who'd you get this from. And, you know, there's that collaboration that happens. And I think that's great. Um, but I think the loyalty is kind of uh, always there, even though when they jump ship and move on, we're pretty happy for them. We, we know they're not going to stick around. So I think Vitaly's more like just rubs it off his shoulder and says, okay, next. All right, who else? All right, somebody else is doing good. Let's move them around in a different position. And he he's very um, amiable to departure. So there you have Vitaly and Kimberly Paley. That was from episode 25, by the way, in case you want to go back and listen to the full interview. I remember the, these episodes very specifically, Chris, just because of the challenge I had as the audio engineer, because we're in a room that has three mics, but it's not really set up very easily to for people to share mics or have mics around them i don't know if you remember that back when we used to remember it together yeah so having vitaly and kimberly both in there uh was one of my first challenges is making sure that they sounded well but i I just love the fact of just seeing those two talk uh, about their love for what they did and how they supported each other was was impactful for me because that was actually my first encounter or one of the first encounters I had with both Vitaly and Kimberly in the same room. So uh, a great episode for me. I'm really looking forward to next week, which we're recording later today. So I can't really preview anything, but I can tell you they're delightful people and I love them. And it's going to be, uh, I, I would say it's, I'm really excited and honored to be able to talk to them right after they close the restaurant. I'm sorry they did, but I'm also glad because I think they deserve, um, great things in life um but uh yeah they're they're just great people and all of the people we're featuring today obviously we liked a lot and and respect and they're they're all big players in the portland food world i believe anybody can argue with with us after they hear the list but i don't think we're going to get much of an argument so the second episode we want to feature is from 2015 and it features uh, Tyler Malik. Uh, it's episode 54. And he, of course, people know, is one of the brains behind 
salt and straw. He built it with his cousin, Kim Malik, who, again, we have an episode in the archives you can listen to, and that's a great one we could have easily chosen, too. But this is mm-hmm. what Tyler talking about, we're talking about here, the concept of kind of strange flavors when he opened salt and straw, what he thought about them and customers thought about them and how that's evolved, and also how he developed some of the flavors in the early days as well. So this <clears throat> goes back to like the third or fourth year of salt and straw. They had just opened up in Los Angeles. So they expanded outside of Portland. And I think at the time they had three locations in Portland. But Tyler is a really great guy. And every time I run into him, he's, he, he makes you as happy when you see his face as his ice cream does when you consume it. So here's Tyler Malik from 2015. When was the first moment that you thought, after you'd done all the work and you thought, man, this this could develop into something a little bigger than the cart? Because that fasc- <laughs> that still fa- hasn't. <laughs> what fascinates me is that you had to start this without that vi- without seeing what has happened. You yeah. you can only see so much, and who could have envisioned? You know, three. How many stores do you have in Portland? Three or three? three. Yeah. And one in Los Angeles uh, in year four. Four. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, at what point did you think, man, this is really cool, and it might get out of hand? How are we gonna How are we gonna actually pull this off? We still have. I still haven't set in. I don't think we're still like You're just still holding there. on. And um, anytime there's something, you know, we've been very opportunistic and. Uh, and, you know, in Northwest 23rd, for example, we had no plans of opening that second shop. And um, at that time, we only had Alberta and I was in the back room making all of it. And But this spot came available and it, it used to be Torrefazione, mm-hmm. which like, you know, uh, it had this, you know, like you envision it with the windows wide open and everyone leaning in the windows and talking with each other. And, um, and like, that's exactly what we wanted in our ice cream shop and so we we had no money whatsoever but we had to have that spot because it that's what we wanted our ice cream shop to be so did you go out and get investors or is this uh yeah friends uh, and family called up our parents so it's friends and family <laughs> so there's no there's no big uh corporate person standing over your shoulder making you miserable no just kim i <laughs> well no no Can you cut that out yeah no <laughs> Well, that's fine, but uh, we. Well, I know Kim. She's not miserable. She's not making. <laughs> she's not making anybody miserable. She's a wonderful, wonderful no. person, and she's been extremely gracious to me. And so have you. Thank you. And that's yeah. what that's oh. what I really marvel at because you got to be very busy. Yet you're out there doing these things, smiling and and happy, and uh, you have a life. You found a way to do this yeah. and have a life. Right. Yeah. I mean, you absolutely. do. I, I, I'm on your Facebook. I see you travel a little bit. Yeah. At least have a puppy. Have a pu- What kind of puppy do you Newfoundland? have? Newfoundland. Oh. Yeah. Love those boys. I had. I had when I was first when I was in college. We had a. I think it was about a 300 square foot little cottage with uh, my girlfriend. We had two uh, Newfoundlands. No, this is in Tucson, Arizona. Oh my gosh. Two Newfoundlands. I can't even imagine. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. We have hair everywhere yeah there was hair hair everywhere in the largest cleanups that you can possibly imagine in this little yard all the time (laughs) so it's pretty good at that though i feel like i'm how old is the pup uh just over one okay there's still a little growth to go then a little bit i think he's just getting wider at this point 120 so he's a small one 
Yeah, that is a small one. But oh my gosh, the cutest dog in the world. They're they're really sweet. Yeah. They're great. They love to look. They're probably he probably really loves ice cream. I would imagine. Oh, he loves it. Our biggest problem is he he really loves kids. So right now everyone's walking with strollers right now, you know, like along the streets. And mm-hmm. whenever he gets an opportunity, he sticks his head in the stroller to like. Oh, that's a little scary for a little kid. That's <laughs> a know, big snow. For the parents too. They're just like. Yeah. But like, a, I'm so sorry. But he just it's really a, loves it's a kids. fluffy, nice looking yeah. dog. It's not a scary, <laughs> scary looking animal. Yeah. So, well, well, um, that's cool. So, um you, how did you come up with the name Salt and Straw? What was the idea behind? I think uh, you know we we make ice cream just in really small batches, and we loved that idea of um, just making sure people knew that or you, you know that 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 nod to making everything by hand, and um, kind of felt like an ice cream, especially that's kind of gone to the wayside, and and people are don't totally understand um, how much work can go behind it and how much love you can put behind a single product. And so salt and straw is kind of a nod to how they used to make ice cream. Mm-hmm. They'd hand churn it with salt and ice. And then before there were even freezers, then they pack it in the barn with straw around it. So, do you think, do you think the name has a lot to do with your success? I think it's got a, it's a really cool name and oh, thank you. it's got a yeah. cachet to it. It's got a Portland vibe to it. So yeah, there's so much that has gone into it. It's really hard to break down your talent, Kim's talent, Obviously, the community. Yeah. So many things. I mean, we've been lucky, and we've been so... Every day, we're ch- we're changing, and we're trying to be better, um, and I think that's the most important thing. And, right, you know, like, even... F- I would say when you ate that strawberry ice cream when we were in a cart, it's probably 100 times different from it, what, the way it is today, mm-hmm. just based on, um, you know, feedback from our... And probably the variety too. So oh, yeah. when you first started making ice cream, what was the most unusual flavor that you remember thinking, well, this is unusual. And I, I have to imagine you're thinking, would people, would people buy into this? Yeah. We finally nailed down that pear and blue cheese. I, I remember Which one is day. one of my favorites. And, yeah. And I've stood in line at Salt and Straw and had <laughs> people go, pear and blue cheese. Yeah. But it's classic now. Not many people question it being good. Right. I think everyone's just like, oh, yeah, of course it's going to be good. Because it's it's seeped into not only their bloodstreams and their yeah. palates, but it's seeped into people's palates that they understand that that's yeah. probably one of your more mainstream yeah. ice creams now. Yeah, which is cool. I think it's there's a certain level of creative freedom in, in the city to, to try things. And um, if they don't work, you know, we'll get a lot of feedback. But honestly, it's like usually we learn something from it and we can create something even better. And, um, and we can now go back and create f- flavors that are more mainstream, but we can do it in ways that you would never even imagine. Like we just did a, a chocolate chip cookie dough flavor that I think is one of my favorite ice creams in the world. And it's something that I wouldn't even have tried um, four years ago, just cause I don't, I wasn't, we weren't ready. You know, I, we didn't have those skills. To do a chocolate chip cookie I dough? I don't think so. Yeah. There's so much required to do it right. What's required to do it right? Just well, I, you know what you're fighting. Point. Yeah, like the biggest problem is that you're fighting like this. Uh, there's a there's a background like everyone who's had chocolate chip cookie dough. They were probably like the last time you had it, you were like ten years old, walking on the pier in Gearheart, you know, and uh, and there's like more than just the flavor that goes into that memory, and I, you know, it's it's a lot to live up to. So you're tapping into. So if you taste something. You're developing something. You taste it, and it doesn't feel like being on the uh, in Gearheart when I was ten. 
Yeah. You go back to the drawing. It's it's, it's in the heart especially as much for as the those, palate. Yeah, I think so. Especially for those nostalgic flavors, definitely. That's unbelievable yeah. to me. So how do you get... <laughs> well, no, because then yeah. how do you get from this doesn't taste like that to this does taste like that? So it takes it takes a lot of patience. Yeah. And, you know, you have other things to do rather than just just hone this particular flavor to perfection in your mind so yeah i mean that one we t- i just i tabled every single year and um never didn't kept on not not serving it um and it honestly it took me to we had to serve a a, a white cheddar cookie dough in a baked potato flavor first and that's where I finally figured out how to make you know this great cookie dough so you had to go through a potato to get to cookie dough <laughs> Oddly enough, and so everything, it's just learning from all these experiences and the people that we're working with, I think. Was the initial plan to do sort of, and pardon me for saying, but sort of unusual flavors that people were not used to? Um, Not particularly. I think um, when we first started, we wanted to create something that really... Like we wanted to take a lot of these, uh, the, the the really amazing, fresh, uni- unusual ingredients from the Willamette Valley and showcase them, and um, just through not only like our growth as a company, but also like my learning process personally as a as a cook, um, we naturally started gravitating and collaborating with, you know, Greg and Gabby at Ox, for example, and um, you know they started they'd be like, why don't you make this, um, you know, this veal stock fudge and you start working on it and you're like oh cool this is fun so chris yeah this was one of the interesting episodes where you know if you know the story behind salt and straw is that as you pointed out tyler is kind of the guy behind the flavors and kim was kind of the the business manager just based on her own background coming from starbucks and whatnot but uh to think about where Salt and Straw was then when we talked to Tyler back in 2015 to where it is now, the expansion has just been gigantic. I don't think any of us, we knew it was probably going to grow, but I don't think we knew that it was going to grow to the, to the, you know, to the fact that when you go to Disneyland now and you're in downtown Disney, there's a line at the Salt and Straw, just like there's a line down on Northwest 23rd. I'll go a bit further, is that I remember the, a day, and I'm trying to remember the year, I'm gonna guess it was 2011, that I don't know, we can look that up, but that I walked out of Aviary after dinner and there was a little, little ice cream cart outside and they were serving um, strawberry, black pepper, balsamic ice cream, and I thought, I gotta try that. That was all they had was that little food cart on Alberta outside of Aviary mm-hmm. at the time. Or not food cart, ice cream cart, not even a food cart. So, right. uh, boy, to think about where it's gone from there, there's a spot where who would have thought this unusual ice cream was going to take off the way it did. So, And it also, I think... Uh, spurred a lot of ice cream growth in Portland as well. I think, you know, we have 50 Licks now, and we just interviewed Nico with Nico's New Zealand-style ice cream. Um, of course, there's Panola Gelato. It's a great ice cream town, and there are others. Um, but, uh, yeah, Tyler and Kim really, really started a big thing, and it's one of the heritage Portland businesses now, right? Mm-hmm. Which, Absolutely, it is. It's. I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. No. Uh, which which segues us to another heritage, 
Portlander, which is a man who's written cookbooks about pizza and bread. And uh, recently it was announced, this is news, that he's leaving Portland. Um, and But his restaurants, his bakeries, and his pizza places will stand, st- stand strong with a lot of former employees that he worked with. Ken Forkish, one of my favorite interviews, and I learned over the years that a lot of my favorites were guys around my age who were a little younger, a little older, and Ken is one of those guys. And let's face it, anybody who'd been doing what he'd been doing for as long as he'd been doing it has some stories to tell, some experience to look back on, and uh, certainly that was the case in this interview back on August 3rd, 2016, where Ken talks about uh, when he started make, having a pizza night at Ken's Bakery, Ken's Artisan Bakery, turned that into a pizza restaurant. But he was, he was learning from Kathy Wims at the time, who we all know from Nostrana, and previously was at Genoa, and is, you know, knows Italian food pretty well, and pizza. Her pizzas are awesome at Nostrana. It was interesting to hear Ken talking about those days with, uh, with Kathy. Uh, And then we go back deeper to his childhood in Maryland when he was eating deep dish pizza to a little story behind that as well. And so here is Ken Forkish with our pleasure. So what was your baseline for Ken's Artisan Pizza or when you started making it over at the bakery? What was That was kind of the thing. My baseline was really more dimensional, like uh, physical characteristics. I wanted a pizza that was the size of a, a dinner plate. And... Even, well, we started this uh, Monday night pizza at my bakery in 2005. That was not very common back then. Uh, Usually when you had pizza, it was a larger, like an 18-inch pizza. Right. Um, Now, of course, you see it a lot of places. It's common for wood-fired oven. Do you think you started that trend in this town? I mean, it's all over the place. I started it, but I was uh, certainly one of the early adopters. Kathy opened Nostrano before I opened Ken's Artisan Pizza. Uh, but I did, was doing these at my bakery. Actually, Kathy was working at my bakery doing pizza night with us for about five or six months, getting her pizza chops up. Before Boy, it would be so cool. It would be so cool to we have had fun a, together too. a machine to, to be able to pick a year and go back and do stuff like that in Portland. You know, Kathy yeah. making pizza with you, going back to Naomi's uh, suppers. That would be right. fun to just be a fly on the, the wall. Right Even sitting at the table would be great, but even a fly yeah. on the wall watching that would be great. So yeah, totally. I didn't realize that. So did she... Is, did you and she learn pizza together? Uh, I don't really. I didn't really look at it that way. I think she just wanted to get her pizza chops up. She, hit, you know, she'd made pizza, but um, it's not like she needed to learn from us. Uh, but we talked a lot about dough, and um, you know, it's when you're going live in your restaurant, you want to have a little, <clears throat> a little bit more hand experience, uh, and that's what it was all about for her. Uh, and I think that was a period of time she wasn't really working that much, uh, so she had time to give. We had a good time together. It was fun. So do you I think remember? we took advantage of each other's experience base, points of view, and skill sets. Uh, well, I would think so. And yeah, that you, was the whole idea. Do you remember any uh, light bulbs going off back then? Like, okay, here's how I here's how I up this pizza this much. Do you remember any uh, of those? No, not really. The only the only thing I wanted was um, we were doing a margarita with arugula, which has always been one of our signature pies. Uh, and this is you know, back in 2005. I just wanted to see, from Kathy's point of view, how you top it with the arugula. And it was, seems weird, but 
to me, and before we did it, I'd read about margarita with arugula pizzas. I had one at A16 down in San Francisco, and I was I was kind of fascinated about it because you know I grew up on New York style pizza back east in Maryland where I grew up, and so the idea of putting basically a salad on top of your pizza was weird, but I was still it was compelling at the same time, uh, and all I just wanted to see was like proportionally <clears throat> how she would do it, and Which then is a lot of arugula. It's a lot. It's not just a lot of really. Actually, the really important thing is um, that you just dress it very, very lightly in olive oil with just mm-hmm. a touch of uh, sea salt. Mm-hmm. Uh, without the olive oil, it comes out a little bit on the dry side, and I don't like dry food, especially pizza. Especially pizza. So anyway, getting back to your earlier question was, uh, what template were we following when we opened Ken's Artisan Pizza? Um, and it was really basically picking up on the pizza style we were doing at Monday Night Pizza at my bakery, which we still do. And it was more about the architecture of the pizza. I wasn't trying to do um, a Neapolitan pizza. I wasn't trying to do any other specific pizza. Uh, we just wanted a thin crust, wood-fired oven pizza of a particular dimension uh, that we liked to eat. And uh, so, like, as a segue, when I was working on writing my book, The Elements of Pizza, uh, I started out thinking, who am I to write about pizza? Because I've been making pizza professionally at that point in time for a short nine years. And like the word pizza alone is just so loaded with like, what is pizza? You ask yourself, what is pizza? And that word means a different thing to no matter who you talk to. Right. But I don't think it's necessarily a time thing. How many, how many pizzas have you put out in, in that nine year period versus what someone else may have put out in 30 years in a small little place in Maryland? Right. Yeah, totally. That's funny. I grew up eating pan pizza. Uh, a place called Lido's was usually our go-to for pizza, and their crust was a little bit greasy, and the only and it was flaky. And the only way you can have a flaky crust is if there's fat in the dough. Mm-hmm. Uh, they probably started out using yard lard, mm. uh, probably segued the shortening. Just guessing, you know, fifties and sixties U.S. Uh, but I asked them, and they were like, they wouldn't talk to me. Really? <laughs> Would they talk to you now? Do they think? No, absolutely not. No, was, I'm writing my book. And you could I cite call, them. That would Lito's be big now, for them. They have like so I write very short about this because it was the pizza I grew up with. And so I called Lido's headquarters and they've, they've franchised out. So they got like 65 places now or some you know, big number. Oh, now, yeah. Now and so have, all of a sudden I'm deal. talking to some guy who's wearing a tie in his office and I said, so here's the deal. I'm writing a book. I grew up eating Lido's pizza. The crust is flaky. Yeah, it can really only happen if there's some fat in the dough. And you know, from his point of view, he's, I can just tell alarm signals. Fat in the dough, don't tell the public, right? So, Chris, one of the things I remember about this interview with with Ken is they had just opened up Trifecta Annex there at the Pine, what was that place called? Or it's still called? Pine Street Market. Uh, yeah, I can't believe Market. that was five years ago already. Yeah, so it was called uh, Trifecta, or, yeah, Trifecta Annex, and then they changed the name to just Checkerboard Pizza. And in that episode, episode 89 with Ken, he talks about how the pizza available there, he purposefully had done different than his other pizzas. You remember this? Oh, yeah, I absolutely remember that. And I just, in reading about his departure, saw that uh, while Ken's Artisan Pizza uh, is was sold, I guess, or taken over by some former Ken's Artisan Pizza employees, he sold checkerboard pizza to uh, the gentleman who owns Sizzle Pie. Because it was more in that, I don't know what they're going to do with it, but Sizzle Pie bought that brand. And yeah. uh, so we'll see what 
they're going to do with it. But I, I consumed a lot of checkerboard pizza because oh. after the podcast, many times I would jump down because for lack of a better idea at a Pine Street Market and always land at checkerboard for a couple of slices and a few croissants to take home that night. Well, I made the, the horrible mistake the other day, Chris. I don't know if you knew this, but they've put a checkerboard pizza inside the Moda Center. So if you go to a Blazers game, uh, you can actually get checkerboard pizza there. And uh, so I was there with my wife, my, my girls, and I thought, oh, I'll get some checkerboard after the half. I'll go after the half after the line has died down. They ran out of pizza. I didn't get any checkerboard pizza. I was, I was devastated. So if you have a chance to have the checkerboard, it's, it's one of the best. Yeah, well, anything Ken does... We all know his, his bakery, you know, and his breads are, were served all over at restaurants. And, um, you know, it's hard to get into Ken's Artisan Pizza. Um, anything Ken touched was gold. And uh, it's sad to see him leaving, but he's leaving behind a legacy of great restaurants. And I'm sure they're all in good hands. Um, but a really nice guy, and I believe he's going. I'm not sure if they even talked about it or he did. We should get him on the podcast. I believe, I know, I think it's California or a desert island. He wasn't getting specific as to where he's going, but it's outside of Portland, and that is a little bit of a, an exodus we've seen quite a bit of over the past year and a half. So as we go from somebody who is exiting Oregon. We actually are going to talk to somebody here who, uh, back in 2017, told us her story about her coming to Oregon. That's right. Well, we heard a lot of we've heard a lot of those. How did I got to? Why I got to Portland stories? But Kelly Cox was one of our, I believe, one of our favorite interviews. And you'll know this. It was the first one where we needed to put a disclaimer at the beginning of the interview to warn if any children were listening. So oh, that's right. <laughs> we didn't pick that specific clip. We'll let people listen to it to find what she said that caused us to have to do that. It was amusing. But, you know, Kelly is a really fun person. I got to know her um, outside of the podcast and uh, just a great sense of humor. She, so just to introduce Kelly, she produced and I don't know if it's still going a uh, television show on PBS called Original Fair. And uh, she did an incredible job traveling the world looking for the sources of food and why they made uh, food so delicious, the original sources. And uh, she had that going for a long while. And I know it wasn't an easy job, but it was a fun job. For a while, she produced it with Lucas, who also ended up doing the movie uh, Food Cart with Damien Magista, whom we have an episode about that, too. So everything's connected here. But mm -hmm. in yep. this case, our interview with Kelly was really fun. We talk about, oh, her drinking a little bit, her roots in Missouri, and also what got her to Portland as well. So one of our favorite episodes, Kelly Cox. Wherever you are out there. What makes you nervous? Uh, the fact that when I am myself, how many people I'm going to offend. <laughs> that actually goes through your mind? It does. I mean, but and on one hand, I really set myself up for success because I try to work with people I really respect and admire. But then, you know, the drinks start flowing pretty easily. And I don't know what this wild <laughs> animal is going to do next. It's just... Something's gonna happen. <laughs> but you but you're obviously okay with that because then you would say, All right, I gotta not put myself in that position. 
Ugh. Right. So because Life's I think lessons. from what I you know I know you, we've hung out a little bit. <laughs> we've hung that, out. We're buds. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I yeah I can't say I know you really well, but I also know you probably more than most people sitting in that chair. Right. That I talk to, and I think you celebrate you celebrate your interest <laughs> in alcohol. <laughs> that is the best description I've ever heard about my love for drinking. <laughs> and it come and it's on the show too, right? It is on the show. It has to be on the show, and I think it's partly because it helps me relax, and I think it helps my subjects relax. And I, at the end of the day, people because it's a video, people have to be entertaining. You know, they have to be charismatic, and they have to have a lot of energy. And sometimes I might need to ply them with a shot or two to get to them to that point. Now, however, and yourself too, and right? myself too. However, I feel like. Your 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 last guest, Eli, was uh, he's I think started the shot, the shots in the show. I think when we shot our episode together a few years ago, he kind of started that doing shots on the show. Thread, it's like, oh yeah, this is a great idea. I should just do this all the time. Oh, that's good that he gets credit for that. Was one thing he didn't we didn't talk about at all. (laughs) But just to just so people don't get confused, we record two episodes at a time. Yours is going to hit before his hits. So, <laughs> so just su- just subscribe to the show so you know yeah. when that one's hitting because that was a great interview that we just did. So it's going to yeah. be a great day. You, yeah. you, you can follow him. You will follow him. And it's just I've been so excited about your coming on here. I know. I'm jazzed that you finally invited me, Chris. Well, Lucas pushed me a little bit last time we were... <laughs> Hanging out at the what you thought was the Lions Club, but it the was American the American Legion. I knew it was wrong in, when it came Cannon, out in Cannon Beach. It's all right. Well, you wrote it though. You didn't delete yeah. it. Um, I'm not challenging you on that. You I are. Just, you are. I just got a kick out of it because I think it's amusing that that's one of the better spots to eat on the coast. Is the fish fry the, is the my favorite ex- favorite dining experience in Oregon. Oh my god, I'm going to make so many people upset by that. But <laughs> is that your absolute favorite dining experience in Oregon with all the people you know? <laughs> Hey, Carlo. <laughs> oh, Carlo. I'm sorry. I love you. Um, I think what I love about it is the just ca- casualness. Uh, the only other There's no pretense. There's no pretense. The only other experience that I would want, you know, I travel the world eating all the time in such random places. I love Oregon, but I because of the outside, and I, I would hope that Portland would get better at just doing some good old outdoor throwdowns. Throwdowns like get rid of the white tablecloths, get rid of the seated plating, you know, all of that stuff, and just party. Don't you think there's enough of that? I mean, I throw those parties, but yeah, no, I know, but they're done. It's not like there's none of that. I guess I'm just not invited. I probably <laughs> pissed somebody off, and I'm not fucking invited. No, you haven't pissed anybody <laughs> off. I'm sure. <laughs> so what I'm curious about is. Um, you grew up in Missouri. Missouri. <gasps> Missouri. You pronounce it Missouri. My father went to the University of Missouri. Oh, why yeah. did you, why is that an e, is that an East uh, State thing and a West Coast thing? I really State? never figured it out. Some of it's us been, say Missouri. Some of us say Missouri. Depends on if you live in St. Louis or not. Pardon me. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. What, what part of the state depends? Yeah. Maybe. Maybe well, anyway. I don't know. I grew up in a town, and some people said Missouri. Yeah. So just when you read, you know, in your bio that you grew up in this town of 200 that, you know, was pretty racist, mm-hmm. you, you're all of a sudden thinking Huck Finn, you know, <laughs> like I, that's the, the, that was the imagery that came up. So, but how much of that is still in you to give you the attitude that you had, the, the, just 
your personality that you have now, the fact that you're, you know that you're pissing people off and you <laughs> really don't give a shit. Um, where does, how does that come from Missouri? Well, I think there's a few ways of looking at it, and I, and I spent a lot of time looking at it. I even went back and did an episode there to try to work out some of my former demons and issues with location. Um, and then, of course, we ended up electing President Trump, so now I really don't give a flying fuck about telling the world that, yeah, there's a lot of racist, narrow-minded communities out there. Um, I, you know, I grew up in a town that had no fences. You know, it was on a bluff overlooking the Missouri River. We didn't have leashes for dogs. It was just a very wild and free place, surrounded by farms. But, you know, at that point, you know, this is the 80s, nobody gave a shit about where their food came from. You know, there were farmers who raised chickens and pigs and beef and you would trade with your neighbors and you would can, you know, my mother would can every summer, but it wasn't like nobody gave a, it well, was just normal. It, right. It, w- it wasn't a thing. It was just normal. It is here. It just is what, it, that's what it was. Yeah. And I love the land. I hated the religious, uh, re- religious mentality. You know, we only had churches, no fucking grocery stores. Um, so I moved to New York and I think part of me always wanted to get back to the land and find that location that I felt at home with again. Cause I really do love being outside and being in nature and being wild and free. And I think Oregon kind of represents some f- sort of common ground where I get to experience things in a significant way with bypassing a lot of the bullshit. There you have Kelly Cox. That comes from April 26th of 2017, episode 118. Uh, so if you want to go listen to the full episode, and again, as Chris pointed out, that was the first time we had to put a bit of a disclaimer at the beginning of, of the episode in case you, you know, were listening to your podcast in, in front of some kids. Some, that was some the only time, by the way. <laughs> that was the only episode. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That sounds about right. So, Chris, we need to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back with one of our favorite episodes from 2018. But that's right after this. Hey, Chris, pausing a moment here to talk about one of our favorite places in Portland to eat, Ringside Steakhouse. Portland Steakhouse. For over 75 years, the Peterson family has been, I think they're in the third generation now. Um, And uh, it is one of the consummate places to go eat. And right now, in the midst of just another little bit of a scare, I call it a little bit because we hope it's over soon. But if you're looking for safe opportunities to dine, uh, Ringside has one of the nicest outdoor warmed dining spaces under a tent uh, that you can find. They've really done a nice job. Um, It's not on Macadam. They actually put a, a floor down as well um, and you get that great ringside service and fantastic ringside food outside um, in uh, a really nice dining space of course they're still open inside in the restaurant and the bar and and they also have takeout as well uh, which is offered Wednesday through Sunday until 9 p.m. They have to go. You can call and place your order beginning one hour uh, prior to the start of business, which would be generally either four or five o'clock. And Chris, let's not forget about talking about the three course prime rib Wednesday, where for 48 bucks you get uh, their great prime rib along with uh, mixed greens and then something for dessert, which is the creme brulee, which is one of my favorites. So that's on Wednesdays, the three course prime rib. Very nice. Portland's best steakhouse and they've been there forever 
in terms of restaurant life even more than forever uh, ringside steakhouse you can find them at ringsidesteakhouse.com and you can find them at 2165 west burnside in portland as well with valet parking yep you can set up your reservations there or use that open table app all right, Chris, we're back and we're we're going to play a clip from an episode. This is actually the second time that we had Micah Camden uh, on the podcast. This comes from August of 2018. And every time Micah was on the, the podcast, something was said that uh, got a little buzzy, right? People yeah, were talking about it. Yeah, well, he, he the guy doesn't pull any punches and you'll hear it in this clip. But, um, you know, certainly... Uh, I enjoy Micah a lot because he's very forthright and, and, and honest, and he says what he thinks. And, um, you know, in this case, you're going to listen to a clip where he, you know, right at the fork, the podcast is not really a breaking news medium. And in right. this case, we get like the hour. He, he breaks the fact that he's making chickpea-based ice cream called Little Bean on the podcast, and I didn't even realize we were getting that scoop. No pun intended on that. So um, we got the scoop right then and there, and then he teases another one in court. I don't know, but I, I don't remember exactly what that was. It may have been Bay's Chicken. But he wouldn't talk about it. But at any rate, Micah uh, is always very entertaining to listen to. I think we had him on three podcasts. And the one thing I want to point out, when we're pointing out that this is episode 171 from August of 2018, you can take any of these people and Google right at the fork with their last name and you'll come up with their episode. And in Micah's case, you'll see all three where we had him right. on. on. So uh, that's important, and it'd be fun to listen to. We love our archives, and anything we can do to encourage people to listen to them, we will. And that's why you're listening to this particular clip from, uh, as we said, 2018 from Micah Camden. This thing is the big play. Okay. It is the big play. Oh. Oh. Can't say anything about it. We nope. just have to know that. Yeah. yeah. So you're so you're testing both court, <laughs> both of us to see if someone wants to ask us whether we can hold that secret. You can hold it. Yeah. No. I'm okay. I, yeah. I can do it. Um, Identical. Can you do it? I'm, not a problem. Yeah. No problem. Thousand, as long as we get the thousand first, percent. Identical. As long as we get the first cases. I'll. I'll. Just text me your address. I'll, yeah, I'll tell you what, you're a man of your word because I didn't remember that you were going to bring us this product from the last podcast. You promised. Yeah. So you did, thanks. And I, and you didn't. I, I would have given some to Brooke from Eater, who you met out at. Well, the, I haven't announced the, it yet. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Well, but we're this is this is going to run. So I know you're it's okay run. with this. I'm I'm fine with that. All right, thank you. We appreciate. We don't get the opportunity to break anything. It's an exclusive. Yeah. Well, you did. Well, isn't that great that I don't even know it? So it takes me a while to realize it. So thank you. I appreciate that. So a couple of years ago, um, I was really amused by some of the conversations we had about OkCupid mm-hmm. and dating. And now you just reference you have a girlfriend. Oh, yeah. How long has that been going on? A while. Good. Yeah. And how'd you meet her? It wasn't OkCupid. No, I, I had been right after I got divorced, but we didn't uh, finalize our relationship until just a couple of years ago. I was kind of I was kind of hoping that after that you'd come and say, "Hey, I really come to grips with 
being alone and uh, oh, I'm still trying. I'm trying to come to grips with it right now. There's there's nights in bed when I'm like looking over, going, ah, I really wish that I was in this bed alone right now, but I'm not. So we assume but then she's I not listening. To no, this no, no. She will listen to this. She's just got. She is going to listen to this. She's stronger than I am. Right, and she's immune it. to you. She has she to is, be. She's a doctor. She's completely immune to me. Okay, so yeah, she couldn't be faint of heart or thin skin no. and live not with you. I would imagine. And by the way. We had this little uh, exchange that I guess on our description of the last podcast, I made some reference as to your likability factor. Yeah. And I really like you. I, you know, it's not that I, I, whatever was written, and I was writing them back then, Court. Yeah. Whatever was written, I think was just, it was an acknowledgement of you're not looking to make friends. Exactly. That's not not your objective in life. Yeah. It's not. So uh, I'll say this. I say this over and over. It's my mantra. I would rather have four quarters than a hundred pennies. Right. Which is, which was good. When I was, when I was on Facebook. Did you read that or did you make that up? What? The quarters and pennies thing. No, I've read that. That's, that's, that goes around. That's why I asked if you're well, if you read a lot. When I got off of Facebook, when I got off Facebook, I had 4,000 friends. 4,000. Friends. Oh, that's a lot of people in the industry too, right? I, I didn't know. I didn't know any of them. You know what I mean? But it was just this, it was just that thing. And I was like, I realized I'm like, I don't have 4,000 friends. Not at all. Like that would never happen in any, th- there's in, there's nobody that would have 4,000 friends. Right. First of all. Um, but that's when I, it just clicked. I was like, no, I, what I have is I have, I have family. You know what I mean? Like that's what I have. And the friends that I call friends are family. Like I'm really good friends with my ex-wife's husband. So that, that's how it goes. Like I, I don't have the time for social media. I don't have the time for, to, you know, manage the different personalities around me and how I affect them. How many great friends do you have speaking of quarters and, and I have quite a few. Yeah. I've got a pretty solid core. So you have a lot of people you can count on when push comes to shove. Yeah, and, and, and they're time-tested, and they're, they're tribulation-tested, too. So there you have Micah Camden from uh, August of 2018, and we hear Micah, Chris, talking about um, his, you know, his, his uh, love life, his, uh, his girlfriend at the time. You just pointed out that since 2018, and probably just recently, Micah and uh, his girlfriend are now engaged. Is that correct? Correct. I ran into him at uh, John Gorham's pop-up in Bend. He was out there scoping locations. Ooh, I don't know if he'd like me to say that, but that's okay. I don't think he would kill him. For uh, Bay's Chicken in Bend. And his mm. uh, fiance was there, lovely woman, and uh, we got to... Enjoy a little time of all places, just running into each other and bend. It's a small, it's a small world out there. It is a small world, and in fact, one of the things I enjoyed most about the three different times we had Micah on the podcast is that he grew up um, in Salt Lake City, which is uh, close to where I grew up, was in Utah. And so we'd always have that little connection of me talking about the high school he went to because it was kind of the notorious rough high school in town. Um, it was always just kind of interesting to hear Micah's Micah's own. Uh, perspective of growing up in Utah much much different than my my growing up in Utah. So I'm going to have to go back and listen because I remember him talking about Indiana and how tough that was and how he landed in jail. Yeah, well, I th- I think it was Gary, Indiana, right? And then, but then I think he did his high school years in in Utah and went to West High School, which was kind of the the rough one of the rough high schools in in Salt Lake City. So right. I think he spent time maybe equally in both, but. Uh, 
Um, West, West High School was notorious for pretty much being the rival for pretty much every other high school in Utah. You just you hated to play them in football because they were always so good. Oh, well, he would have made yeah. a tough football player. One thing that we didn't point out, for those who don't know, Micah is the guy who developed Little Big Burger, sold that. And also, everybody loved Blue Star Donuts. That was one of his. Mm-hmm. He's responsible for that, as well as uh, as Bay's Chicken. And one of my Super favorites, Deluxe. Super Deluxe. I love Super mm-hmm. Deluxe. So um, yeah. I've always said anybody in Salem online, and that's going to change because In-N-Out's coming closer to Portland, but anybody in Salem online and In-N-Out should run up to Portland, get a Super Deluxe, and they'll be back to where they started faster than if they just sit there online at In-N-Out Burger. So. Well, here's the little secret is you, you don't go all the way into Portland if you're coming up from Salem. You just swing into Sherwood because they've got a great location in Sherwood that uh, I frequent often, Chris. I didn't know Super um, Deluxe had, a, had, had a, a location. That's great to know. Yeah, it's right off of the uh, the Sherwood Tualatin Road where it meets 99W. So I'm I'm probably you know sharing a secret, but if you live in that area, you already know about it. And the the lines just aren't as long as I saw the lines in in Portland. So. Yeah, well that Pearl location secret. is a pearl. It's a beautiful yeah. it's a beautiful store, and I thought it might be the prototype, but it was interesting because it was a. It strayed from Micah's original plan, and I don't know what he has, to just go in and get former Burger King locations or fast food locations and open up right. and or, or actually go across the street from them, which he did at that Foster location across right. the street and watch nobody go to Burger King anymore. So, um, yeah. Anyway, well, he, in, in the Sherwood in the Sherwood location, he literally did take over a, a Burger King that had uh, gone out of business so he's in the he's in the prime spot right there very good very good um speaking of prime spot our next guest is uh, just uh one of the loveliest people you could meet um and ironically i just mentioned prime spot Kristen murray owns maurice which through the pandemic has been almost near ground zero and has taken it on just taken (laughs) it on the chin over and over with regard to vandalism and problems outside of a restaurant and she's still standing tall she maintains uh, at least a public positive attitude Um, but Kristen anybody who's been to Maurice knows it is one of the most delightful little luncheonette type places you can uh, you can find and uh, as she talks about in this clip it was developed through um, some experiences she had shared with her grandmother growing up. And uh, then I got to know her a little bit on Facebook as she, and she talks about it in this podcast, but not in this clip, um, taking care of her mother who had dementia. And that was a very tough period the last couple of years. And her mother passed away, I believe it was either last year or the year before. Um, and she's been of course, distraught. So she's been running a restaurant during the pandemic uh, in grief, grieving w- about her mother who just passed away. And, uh, and Maurice is still going strong. Here we hear her talk about Maurice as it relates to mothers and daughters and um, uh, why it gives her joy. Um, 
And anybody who knows Kristen, she's just a wonderful person. I really enjoyed my interview. And I remember at the time thinking, this is one of the most intelligent people we've ever had on the podcast. Um, what do I love about it? I love that um, I, I'm an only child and I have a really small family. And I was raised by, like I said, you know, my grandmother and my great aunt. And for me, and I can't believe I'm getting emotional about this. Yeah, that's okay. You can take a moment if you'd like. Um, I think it's nice that you're getting emotional about it. But I love that I get to um, bring them life and what they gave to me because they're not around anymore. And so, you know, the um, uh, my grandmother loved having brunches and it was a big celebration and we um i didn't grow up with a silver spoon in my mouth or anything like that but the china always came out and we shined all the things and there were little placemats and it all of a sudden was this beautiful procession um and i feel like we get to do that at maurice we get to be really transparent and have a home setting that shouldn't really make sense as a restaurant but it is a restaurant and um, it's way too personal. Well, and the, the, menu, <laughs> the menu is handwritten, right? Or, yes, which is ridiculously inefficient. And I love and hate beautiful. that, it's but it's so beautiful. Personal. And, and um, beautiful. It's your handwriting. It is correct? my handwriting. It's, it's just you for no other reason. And there are many reasons, many big reasons, going there just to look at the menu. It's it's just, made it's, to order. Yeah. yeah, but I get anxiety if I print because I work with so many different farmers. I don't know um, what needs to be served right now. What should sit and the not having an office at the restaurant, not ha- just having tables and kitchen. It, it's almost like writing a love letter to the day and then giving that gift to someone, but asking them to give it quickly back. <laughs> so there is Kristen Murray. That comes from uh, October 10th of 2019, episode 217. Again, if you want to go back and listen to the full episode, just search for episode 217. Well, interestingly enough, I enjoyed a lunch at Kristen's Maurice with the next gentleman we have up, uh, I could say a lot about John Gorham. And at that lunch, he talked to me about his brain cancer. It had just come, he had just gotten the news about it, and he was telling me how it was going at the time. I then asked him a little later if, we, if he would mind coming on the podcast to talk about various things. He always had a lot going on, new openings, um, things in his life. Um, and this was a big one. And John was very open and said, you know, always said, you can ask me anything. And I, and I didn't necessarily want to go into his brain cancer too much. But this is one of the greatest restaurateurs Portland will ever see who went through some really, really tough times. And oddly enough, this episode took place before the pandemic, January 16, 2020, about a month or two before he had to close all of his restaurants. And uh, what he did was start serving the public um, free food and the industry free food. 
And uh, we went on in the, in the midst of his brain cancer to see his restaurants getting vandalized over and over with the police doing nothing. His frustration comes out. I think if you put it, what you're about to hear in this clip in the context of all of that and hear what he has to say about this before all of that happened, you might understand a little bit more from his perspective how frustrating things were. And it came to a crazy head when he actually ended up having to sell his restaurants and and leave Portland. He's now, he and his wife Renee are doing well in Bend. They're about to open their new restaurant down there soon with our friend Garrett Peck, um, who left as well. We're going to have him on the podcast soon, too. Um, But if you listen to this, I chose this. We could have, we had many episodes with John Gorham, three or four court i don't remember yeah i think i think i think four yeah probably four if you include the one we had with him and renee at the same time we've Mm -hmm. also had renee separately um but this one i chose because you know 2020 was a big year in the restaurant industry and we could have chosen any of the march episodes march april when everybody was freaking out and didn't know what they were going to do to survive those are all there (laughs) <laughs> all those episodes. But this one is particularly interesting because it's about a month before. And when you hear John Gorham talking about what he had been going through for the prior year and then knew what was coming up, it's crazy. So um, it's sad, but he's still surviving and he's doing well. So we're glad about that. And uh, we're, I'm glad to call John and Renee friends. And uh, I think we're sad not to have them in Portland anymore. But, you know, we have great experiences to draw from, not only knowing them and interchanges with them, interactions, but they're great restaurants. And I can't tell you how many fantastic meals I had at Toro Bravo, the Tasties, uh, um, Flesh Your Heart Burger, uh, MEC, uh, Shalom, y'all. And um, a lot of fantastic experiences. Anybody who knows the Portland Food Adventures story knows that John was the guy who set me on my little breakfast tour when I asked him where the best places he'd had breakfast were. And then I did that and I thought, I have this idea. It went from there. And John kind of tested me a little bit and then was so gracious to let me do openings portland food adventures events at tasty and alder and tasty and daughters and the reopening of tasty and sons and mec pretty damn cool which by the way mec is where we met craig from ringside and that's a whole story unto itself so um anyway this is a lot to get into the interview with a little bit of the interview with john gorham but i encourage anybody to listen to all of them, Google right at the fork, Gorham, and take a listen. But here's one particular five minutes uh, from 2020, right before the pandemic, episode 226 with John Gorham. So, um, well, let's let's talk a little bit about your last couple of years with your health issues, because that's a big one, man. That's, yeah. And uh, you're still here. I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> We're yeah. very thankful for that. And... Uh, of course, an outpouring of love from not only the food community, but just Portland in general. You're an important guy in the city, really important um, person. So, um, and you've had a long fight. How's it 
How's the last year been for you? Well, you know, it's it's been two years since, well, February will be two years since the surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, And then how long before that? We talked about it, but how long before that were you diagnosed? Uh, I found out the Thanksgiving before that. Okay. So, you know, I had about three months to, mm-hmm. to live with it and figure, figure it out, you mm-hmm. know. And, uh, you know, that my tumor was in my personality center. So that's, you know, a, a lot of your moods and Looking back, I was I was starting to have some. I had I had a couple of anxiety attacks right before that, and you know I I could definitely see some 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 changes in myself as I was leading up to finding it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know once you found I found it, it was you know when you have a brain tumor, they don't know what it is until they get it out. You know, so you're literally getting woken up and hearing the news of how bad it is. You know that, that's you're not going to. I mean, they, there's. Some some pictures can tell you if it's really bad, but even a small one that looks okay could have the mutations to be bad. Mm-hmm. So mine turned out to be you know pretty pretty you know young and forming and and slow moving. Fortunately, um, you know I have I have MRI. First year I had MRIs every three months, and now I have MRIs every six months. And every time I get in that tube or you know get the phone call to get in there, it's 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 anxiety provoking for a week or two, and I always get the the results read right after so I can be calm or know what to deal with oh you can get them the day after yeah. the day of your mri yeah yeah oh that's nice because yeah yeah I, the first one i had to wait two days and i was like no nope, we can't do that i got i gotta i gotta know today right that's a big thing for uh, yeah that they generally should get under control and <laughs> yeah. let people know right away yeah so um so the after the surgery, it's been a little up and down. I mean, you know, after the surgery, you know, the the first couple, you know, two months, you know, the doctors told me they're like, you're going to be tired, like you don't even understand, and and it was true. I mean, I just I just had nothing. I would you know get up to use the bathroom and need a two hour nap. You know, just from that little bit of movement, just because your body, you know, your body's repairing brain, it's repairing bone that's repairing you know skin tissue you're you're in you know your your body's going through a lot to recover from that type of surgery mm-hmm. and then um after about two months you know there's a little bit of celebratory that they got it all out and it was looking good and then came the the, the you know the reality of the brain trauma you know i really went into uh it you know what one of the things that happens after a brain surgery often is is depression and anxiety because you're your pathways are disrupted and and they're they're changing and they don't know where to go so what that creates those feelings and it got pretty dark for me for about nine months i was i was definitely you know in a in a really really dark place for about nine months had you ever been suffered from depression before this um i would have said i thought i had but no nothing like this that a different, yeah different level yeah and you know that's the horrible thing about depression is you may get you know you get yeah. beyond it and then you just never know now once you've experienced it you fear wow that could come back because it's an organic thing it's not something you can necessarily control yeah yeah and again you know where my brain got cut out you know that's those those are areas where dopamine and serotonin is made mm. and so you know it's it's you know i definitely have a, a little bit of a handicap there now um and so what do you how do you well, you know, uh, the doc, you, you, know, you know, I mean, the depression was so dark that, I mean, you know, just in all honesty, I, 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 I didn't want to live anymore. It was that, that point. Like mm-hmm. I was waking up being like, I wish it would have just taken me out, you know, and that's terrible, you know, especially as a father. And, you know, I fought that. And, you know, one thing I can say, I, I, I never gave into the just lay in bed 
you know, I, I got up every day and made the bed and got showered and got outside and did what I had to do. Um, so, I mean, I, that helped. And so now, um, you know, I think right after that, I kind of, you know, self-soothed myself with, you know, cannabis. I, I took a lot, you know, I took a lot of cannabis there for a little bit, you know, especially after work on the weekends to just kind of numb myself. And about four months ago, my wife was like, look, you, you, you got to come out of that too. You know, like this isn't healthy either. So now I've, I've quit that, you know, I, I, I can't drink or anything since the surgery, I get headaches. So, you know, I've, I've gone back to exercise, which is always the answer to depression, you know? Right. And it's not always the easiest answer for, no, it's hard. It's yeah, especially yeah. to start, you know, to, to start the habits. And I think so many people want to go right into like, I'm going to, you know, go hurt myself exercise. And, you know, I started with walking and, you know, I walk about five to seven miles a day. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to get in the woods as much as possible on hikes, but if not, I, you know, do, do the Esplanade loop, you know, mm-hmm. almost all the time. And, you know, started, you know, started getting back on my bike on the weekends and trying, you know, now I'm trying to get maybe two exercises in a day, you know, I'll walk in the morning and maybe go to the gym in the evening. And, you know, that really, that really elevates the mood. I find uh, trees and nature. Well, you know, it's funny, right after, a, a year after my surgery, not even a year, no, six months after my surgery, I, I, I bought a house in the woods. Mm-hmm. I, I moved out into, I live in the trees. So there is John Gorham from January of 2020 before everything changed. One of the things that really stood out to me from this interview, Chris, was, was John full on talking about uh, the depression that he was experiencing. And that was the, the clip we played there. And I think uh, those conversations are super important because back in the day, you used to kind of hide, hide those conversations away. You didn't want people knowing that you were going through depression. Um, but I think if we can remove that taboo, um, everybody benefits from it. And John was, was there doing that for us. Right. I, you know, I went through a severe bout Right when I started getting into the food scene, like 2009, 2010, and before that, I wouldn't have understood. I, I thought it was just sadness. No, 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 no. Right. It's way more than that. It's or it's organic. So uh, I'm out about it. I'm always willing, interested in talking about depression and and how uh, somehow I managed to come out of it and how I view it now. Um, but John, just to hear him talking about it so deeply and how much it affected him, to know that and realize this was not, he's not talking about it after the fact, to know this is what he was dealing with going into that pandemic with as many restaurants as he had, uh, yeah. is, is pretty interesting context to listen to. Mm-hmm. So our final episode uh, that we're going to share with with uh, with listeners, at least clip of an episode that we're going to show. This was one I was excited about because uh, for as long as Papa Hayden has been around in Portland, I didn't know very much about this guy. No, I, you know it's interesting. Michael Gibbons uh, became a friend of mine on Facebook. I was actually looking back like five six years ago, and I certainly didn't even know who Michael Gibbons was. Uh, I knew he was, I guess at the time, I accepted his friendship. I might have looked and saw, oh, Papa Hayden, I'll do that. Papa Hayden was a place that I used to go when I moved into Portland every night. And anytime we went to dinner, we would go to Papa Hayden's afterwards for coffee and cake. I shouldn't have, 
but I'm glad I did. So I got to have that experience. But um, over the years, uh, you know, Michael would comment on a few things. And then finally, I asked him if we could interview him for the podcast when I realized exactly who he was, that he had started Papa Hayden with his uh, wife, Evelyn, and her sister years ago. And um, yeah, this was an episode. This was an interview we did from he was in Bend. Uh, taking care of his father at the time and uh, it's another one of those where the guy is about my age I really enjoy him he's got a lot of stories we had some commonalities Uh, he used to go to Van Halen concerts before Van Halen was Van Halen in LA and then I had a little connection with them in the late 70s as well so we learned that but um, I really like Michael a lot we've gotten to know him in fact to the point where we're discussing in 2023 three or 24 doing some trips to the places that inspired Papa Haydn's in Austria and uh, Berlin. So uh, that'll be fun. It's not happening yet. It's not on the Portland Food Adventures website yet, but it might be so uh, soon. So um, I really enjoy, I had, I had lunch uh, just last week with Michael at Republica and a really good guy. So in this episode, what it does, as far as the podcast is concerned, is it gives uh, the opportunity for us to see how we've learned a lot about the Portland food world through the operators who have been here for a long time. So uh, Michael talks about Papa Hayden starting in the 70s. And uh, of course, we we know it's come a long way since then. Uh, Two locations, Joe Barr um, and... uh, the rest, as they say, is history. So this was uh, one of the first times I had the opportunity to converse with Michael Gibbons, and it was, it, was, uh, it was a good hour. I enjoyed it. Here's five minutes from that. The story starts with her sister and, uh, and her brother-in-law, Jeff and Heidi Van Dyke, who opened up in 78 uh, at the east side at our Sel- Selwood location. And... Heidi and Evelyn had grown up well in East in East Germany. Uh, their parents were put in prison for three years trying to get out to Berlin back in the day before the wall came up. And so they were raised by their grandma then. And then finally, her parents got out of prison, got to the West. Uh, and Evelyn and Heidi had to stay behind uh, before they could join them. Anyways, in West Berlin, Evelyn was 16 and Heidi would have been 14. Her mother, their mother, had bad experiences in the war. And as you recall, West Berlin was surrounded by East Germany and by the Russians. Mm-hmm. She, just, she just could not do it. They had a small little bakery in Mariendorf, uh, kind of out near where uh, Tempelhof was. Anyways, uh, dad came across, started working for Franz Bakery, uh, bought a house. That They all came over. So the inspiration, Heidi and and Evelyn went to PSU, both got masters in fine arts, Heidi in textiles, Evelyn's a sculptor. She has a piece in uh, Laurelhurst, that big stainless steel abstract piece, triad. I don't know, it's down by the, if you've seen it, that's hers. But anyways, Heidi and Jeff start this little cafe um, because you don't make a living making weavings and textiles. And and the intent was to recreate sort of a, a coffee house, a, a Viennese or, or European thing. And they figured, oh, well, you know, we'll be open till seven or eight, yada, yada. 
Well, reality hits. Uh, they're a couple. They have a baby, and and we do well. Um, you know, we have an espresso machine. The case is full of, I think, four recipes. Two of which were made by her father. At first, it was a um, a dobostort and a zacher, and um, I can't. Re- I think a cheesecake, a New York cheesecake. Anyways, they need help. They ask Evelyn if she wouldn't mind helping out for just a year. Mm-hmm. And that's 1978. Ev, Ev is, that's a long Ev, time ago, by the way. Yeah, I know. it's Everything's 50 years ago, right? Well, or 40. <laughs> I just was looking at uh, an old Van Halen video, right? That was, and I have some ties to Van Halen, the, the uh, band. But I, I just too. realized that was over 40 years ago. Yeah. You know, when they were at their peak. So I grew up in La Cunada. Eddie Van Halen was the high school band in my day. That was Mammoth in those days, right? Uh, 70. This was 74. Oh, wow. That was way pre Van Halen. Yeah, way pre Van Halen. I came back. I went to seminary, as I said, in in 72 when I graduated. And uh, he he hadn't hit the scene then. But when I came back to La Cunada for a while, um, Eddie Van Halen was was the hot thing to go to on a Friday night party. Just to finish up the the thread, um, they they started with this Viennese coffee house and tent, um, and that was the whole deal. And and as you pointed out earlier, we didn't know it was a business plan to have not only lunch and dinner, but to have these shoulder hours right between lunch and dinner, and then after dinner. And so that really was a key to our success. That and my wife's creativity. She ch- treated chocolate. She's not a baker by training. Um, she's a sculptor by training, but she treated chocolate and desserts um, that as ethereal sculpture, right? As, as uh-huh. ephemeral um, is what is the word I was searching for. So that's the whole key to key to that. So there's Michael Gibbons of Papa Haydn's episode 276 from May uh, of uh, last year. It's uh, have you uh, made any mistakes yet, Chris, of still calling this year 2021? Um, I don't know. I don't think so. I think I might have. So far, so good. I think I've written 2002. My my uh, car radio did a Y2K thing on January 1st and is stuck oh. in 2002. And it's oh. endemic through the, the Honda, Honda, older Honda models. So Interesting. So, yeah. So, that's for that reason, there's 2002 going on. But, no, 22, as I said, I've always liked the number 22. So um, You've been waiting for this year. I've been kind of waiting for this year so I could say that. Yes. Uh, yeah. I think it would probably be safe to say, Chris, that th- this putting this episode together was both hard and easy hard because there were so many great episodes for us to try to choose one from each year but also easy because the the eight that we selected um were just such great guests such great interviews and definitely something we we love to return to yes as a matter of fact you know my memory can be pretty spotty at times but it was kind of easy to go back in the archives and look there were certainly some times where I thought, ooh, that was a good one. We should do that. But it was easy to look at these particular uh, folks and say, oh, I remember that was a good one. And it was, I tell you what, what made it even easier was it was pretty easy to click around through the episode and find good clips pretty fast. It didn't take as long as I thought it was going to do. Uh, it, was go- it didn't take as long as I thought it would have. But uh, I think I think there are some good representative clips, and I invite anybody to take those and build on it, and go back in the archives and enjoy a uh, 
a little journey through the Portland food world from 2014 to the present. And even better, Chris, as we uh, wrap up this first episode of 2022, uh, we're looking forward because next week we're going to be chatting with the Paleys, both Vitaly and Kimberly here on the podcast. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. Right